Welcome to the Banyan Books podcast in conversation. Today we're joined by author Greg Braden. Really excited to have him here. And before we get into Greg's formal introduction, I'll just do our usual Banyan announcements. First off, acknowledging even though we have people joining us from around the world, Banyan Books and Sound's physical location is on the traditional unceded territories of the uh, Coast Salish peoples. That's the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Banyan Books is in its 50th year in business as an independent bookstore, Canada's healing and spiritual resource since 1970, so celebrating that. And we encourage everyone to go to banyan.com, B-A-N-Y-E-N.com, or if you're in Vancouver, stop in at our location, open 11 to 7 every day at the corner of Dunbar and 4th. So our guest today, Greg Braden, he is a five-time New York Times bestselling author, a researcher, educator, and lecturer. He is internationally renowned as a pioneer bridging modern science, ancient wisdom, and human potential. Greg's research has led to 15 film credits and 12 award-winning books, now published in more than 40 languages. The UK's Watkins Mind Body Spirit Journal has listed Greg as among the top 100 of the world's most spiritually influential people for the seventh consecutive year. And he was also a nominee in 2020 for the prestigious Templeton Prize, which was established to honor outstanding individuals who have devoted their talents to expanding our vision of human purpose and ultimate reality. Greg's books include The Spontaneous Healing of Belief, Resilience from the Heart, The Divine Matrix, and formerly called Human by Design, now called The Science of Self-Empowerment, which preceded his latest book, which is called The Wisdom Codes, Ancient Words to Rewire Our Brains and Heal Our Hearts, a wonderful book like his others, all available at banyan.com, B-A-N-Y-E-N.com. Now, the wisdom codes is described as the cutting edge of neurolinguistics meets the spiritual wisdom of the ages in a handbook of keywords that literally rewire our brains. So Banyan family, please join me in welcoming our honored guest today, Greg Braden. Greg, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Ross, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be with you and to be with our, our community. Thank you for my, my warm introduction. Uh, I especially like the part about uh, the, the Templeton Prize being offered to uh, living individuals. I like to be in that category of living individuals. <laughs> just, just, just the affirmation, you know. So I, I just want to uh, thank Banyan Books. You all have supported me for, um, this is the 37th year I've done this in one form or another, and Banyan Books has been with me since the very beginning. So in one form or another. So uh, I want to thank you for that and thank my Banyan community. I'm excited for this conversation today. I don't know where it's going to go. It's a dance and I'm going to let my brother Ross uh, lead this dance. So uh, so here we go. Thanks so much, Greg. And, and as we've discussed before the interview, there's so much we can cover. 
But I thought it, I'd, I'd personally be interested, and I think our audience too would be interested to know in your creation of this book, The Wisdom Codes, you've, you've been doing this for over 40 years, exploring all the world's wisdom traditions. Yeah. How did you go about selecting which prayers, mantras, affirmations to use for this book? What was that process like? Well, I, uh, that's a good question. It's a big question. It might, might be the whole, uh, the whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so I, first, I'll just begin by saying I am a scientist. I'm a degreed, um, I'm a multidisciplinary scientist, a degreed earth scientist with a strong background in the, the life sciences, math, physics, computer science, and archaeology. And, and I say that <clears throat> because it is that background that allows me to stay current uh, with the, the publications, the very technical and then in some cases the obscure publications that are revealing new discoveries that change the way we think about ourselves, about our bodies, our relationship to our bodies, uh, our, our capabilities, our potential, our relationship to the earth, our relationship to time, to, uh, to the cosmos, and a lot of that information, Ross, is simply not being shared in the mainstream. So our, our young people today are actually being taught uh, information about their bodies and what they're capable of that we now know is obsolete. It's based on false assumptions of obsolete science. But until these discoveries and the, the content is approved, in, uh, in the, the curricula by the school boards and public schools, teachers can't teach legally. They are not allowed to teach these new discoveries. So what, what I want to do in this book and, and uh, the previous books is bring facets of those discoveries to the forefront in our lives in ways that are meaningful to us to help us navigate uh, the, our, our time of extremes. I think we all know that we're living a time of extremes and it's not enough just to survive we want to thrive we want to navigate in a healthy way whatever it is that life brings to our doorstep so that was the impetus for me putting this book together as a scientist uh what i am i'm a student i'm still learning uh, but the new discoveries are showing very clearly, now this is, this is really interesting, that the words that we use to communicate with one another, like the words I'm using with you right now, uh, and the words that we use to communicate with ourselves, this is really important, because the, the scientists tell us, the average person, we have about 60 to 80,000 words that we speak to ourselves on uh, in a 24-hour period many of them are the same words they're loops that we give so the words that we use not only determine how we think about the world and about how we solve our problems but the mind blower is the words that we use determine what we're even capable of conceiving right if we if we want new and innovative solutions the language that we use determines the parameters that we even allow ourselves to explore. And the reason, this is where the science comes in, mm -hmm. the reason is because those words are directly linked to uh, neurons in the heart that were discovered in 1991, 
Now, uh, they were published in 1994, the first uh, journals describing the neural network of the heart as well as the neural network in, in the brain. So the words we use determine, you've all heard this, uh, this term, how the neurons wire and fire together. And the way they wire and fire determines how we perceive our relationship to the world, how we solve our problems, how we treat one another, how we heal our bodies, how we create our relationships, uh, all, all of those things. So this is, this is where the science is going. Now, as a researcher, for over 40 years, I have had the opportunity to, to travel and to lead groups into some of the most remote, uh, isolated, magnificent, beautiful, pristine places remaining on the earth from the, the highlands of central China and Tibet and the monasteries in Nepal and India and all through the, uh, the Kero villages in, in the Andes of southern Peru and the, with the shamans in the Yucatan, uh, all through the American desert southwest, uh, the Bedouin of, of Egypt. I've had the opportunity to study with these people to understand what they have known that we have simply forgotten and what they understand that we're only beginning to come to terms with in terms of our relationship to the world. And the reason I say this is because as different as those traditions are from one another, there are, are things that uh, are common to them, that, that weave them together. And one of those is that every ancient culture, every ancient tradition has always had words and phrases that they turn to in times of need for comfort, for strength, for reassurance, uh, in times of loss. You know, we're all experiencing loss right now, whether it's the loss of our loved ones or the loss of a way of life. We are all mourning a loss of something. A lot of us don't know that. And, uh, and if we don't know that, it, it impacts the decisions that we make and the, our relationships, the way we live our lives. Our immune response is, is all linked to that. So when I wanted to, to put this book together, what I found is over the last 40 years uh, is that every culture has these words that have worked for them. And they've been preserved as mantras, prayers, hymns in terms of the Gnostic traditions, uh, Sanskrit traditions, um, the, the ancient Aramaic traditions, a pre, um, the pre-Hebrew language, uh, Native American traditions. And so I wanted to bring, I'm, I'm looking over here because the book was just released in paperback and I'm, I'm glancing here because it's the little paperback. What I wanted to do was to put together a quick reference guide uh, by categories. So there is a category of, uh, of protection and there's a category of loss. And, uh, and within each category, put together four, three, four, maybe five of these word codes that have worked for our ancestors in the past, because if it worked for them for so well, there's a good chance they're going to work for us as well. I'll, I'll give an example before we, uh, you know, before we close out here today. Uh, but that was the impetus for writing the book. It, 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 I'll just share a secret. It should have been called Wisdom Codes Book One 
because there are so many that I, I had to draw from, from the ancient Vedas and the, the Hindu traditions and the Buddhist traditions and the Christian and pre-Christian and native and indigenous. And uh, so I, I had, it was very healing for me actually to go through and to, to call this information uh, and put it into a, a book it can be read cover to cover, but more often than not, it's a quick reference. People, mm-hmm. small small format book. You can carry it in your purse or your briefcase, uh, and uh, and to be able to share those those word codes in uh, in meaningful ways. So that was it's a long answer to a short question, but that was the impetus for me putting the book together. And since the book has been written, even newer discoveries now. Uh, are substantiating the the fundamental premise of the book. I just I want to share something with our 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 viewers here. It is the um, the epigraph the at the very beginning of the book that was, and I'm going to read it directly so I get all the words correct. Okay. It's from a neuroscientist uh, Andrew New- Newberg. He's right. uh, he's an MD. Listen to what he says. He goes a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. Right. So what he's, he's saying is something that we can't see and we can't touch has the ability to literally shift the fundamental code of our biology that we can touch and we can see. So we can see the upregulation or the downregulation of, uh, of genes that result directly from the language that we use. And that makes these words, and we've always known words were powerful. The second, the second part of the epigraph is from Emily Dickinson. Uh-huh. And she's, she's not a scientist, but she understood the power of words. And she said, I know nothing in the world that has as much power as a word. Can't get any clearer than that. It's not science, but it's true. It's, it's the deep truth of our relationship to language. So, uh, so in each of the codes, in addition to giving the codes, I want people to understand where they come from. So I give, I give the code, I give the source, so people can go and check these things out on their own. If there is a native language, uh, I offer the native language of Navajo, or uh, there's Aramaic, uh, there's Sanskrit. And in the audio recordings, uh, people can actually hear. I, I recorded this myself in the studio. So people can actually hear how these ancient mantras in, in Sanskrit and Aramaic and the prayers are, are actually stated. Wonderful. And you're, you're talking about these ancient languages. And I guess this is a two-part question because mm-hmm. the power of the word affects our feelings, which then affects our physiology, our biology, and our perceptions and our capacity to think in different ways. I'm curious, first off, how it affects, how that actually, how that process works in the body, but also the other part of it is around the language itself. And have there been any studies done that indicate whether, let's say Sanskrit, for example, a lot of the teachers from those traditions will say it's one of the original languages and yeah. it has a lot of power. Is, have they found that one language might be hold more power than English, for example? Uh, it's, I'm going to start with the second question first, and they're both good questions. The, it's less about the, it appears to be less about the language itself, and it's the significance that we attach to the sounds that the language makes. Okay. So 
to, to really flesh out this answer. And, and I described this in the, in the first chapter in the book. We'll go back to early linguistics, early in the, uh, in the 20th century. And, you know, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is how the universe works. What some people say is a total fluke that led to this understanding is actually the foundation for the, the modern study of, of linguistics. Harvard University, uh, 19, mid-1930s, there was a professor that took a sabbatical, and he asked a friend of his to sit in for him for a semester and teach linguistics. He opted to teach indigenous linguistics for a language that was very poorly understood in the early 20th century. It was the language of Hopi. The man's name was Benjamin Lee Wharf. And if anyone's listening and has ever studied linguistics, you know exactly where I'm going with this. What Benjamin Lee Wharf uh, had to do before he could teach is he had to understand the language. And he spent time with the Hopi that apparently very few people had done from this perspective in the past. What he understood, what he began to understand, Ross, is really interesting that the Hopi live in the present moment. Now, a lot of spiritually oriented people say, oh yeah, I live in now, I live in the present. But the Hopi really live in the present and their language reflects that because they have no words in their language to separate the future from the past. They, they cannot say, talk about the past. They can't talk about the future. They have no words to separate what's happening in one place or another. It is all alive. In the Hopi language, the universe is alive. It's conscious. The world is conscious. It's present. And it is happening in the now. So, uh, for example, and I, these sound very awkward when I talk about these examples, uh, if you were standing with a Hopi elder and you were lo looking, if you were standing on, on a beach in Vancouver and you're looking at the waves coming in, you and I would probably say, hey, look at that wave. By doing that, we've separated ourselves from the wave. We've said that and we've isolated that wave from all the other waves, the Hopi, in a very awkward way. Uh, because there is no direct translation, but what they would say is, see the waving, because it is happening in the moment, and it's not separate from the other waves. See the waving. Or, or if you're looking at lightning, we had an amazing lightning storm uh, two nights ago, and people would say, wow, did you see that lightning? I hope he would say, it is lightning-ing, <laughs> because it is occurring in the present moment. Now, here's why this is important. When you talk about the Hopi worldview, they see everything as connected. They see everything as alive. They see us as part of a unified field, part of a unified ecosystem, part of a unified consciousness. And that is reflected in the policies that they create, uh, the, the laws, of, uh, of their tradition that they choose to live by, the way they heal their bodies, the way they honor their ancestors, the way they think of time, the way they build their relationships, the way they build their communities, the way they educate their children. So it's more than just a philosophical conversation. It is the, actually the foundation of the, the way that they see their relationship to the world and live their lives. English, on the other hand, uh, is a very good language for technology. But English, we 
see us as separate from everything else. So there's you and me, them and us, over there, over here, past, present. And it's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad, but it has an influence. And this is, this is where this uh, idea of, uh, and the, the tradition, the study of linguistics began from this perception. And now with the new technology, we can actually see how the neurons begin to, to bind and fire together when we begin to use these words and we begin to think and see the world differently. So that, that's the power of the language. In terms of the human body, I'm just going to do this very quickly okay. because the science is giving us the reasons to think about ourselves very differently. In the mainstream media, there is a battle playing out right now. And I think we all, there's a battle for our thoughts. We all know that. Everyone is competing to tell us what to think and how to think. There's a battle for our beliefs, what we believe about our origin. Where do we come from? Are we the product of a random process or... Are we the product of some kind of an, an intelligent intervention? Where did the universe come from? Is the universe dead and inert, or is it alive, conscious, and connected? And by the way, that's what the science is showing, that the universe now, new discoveries, it is conscious, it is intelligent, it is ordered, it's not random. All, all of those battles are playing out, but for me, they are all static. They're all noise for a, a deeper battle, a battle for our very humanness that is playing out right now. We are being taught that we are weak, powerless, frail, and we're being taught that carbon-based life in general and humans specifically are flawed and that we need technology to realize our potential and to save us. This is the conditioning that now is coming for our young people. On the one hand, the other hand, listen to the new science. What the science is telling us is every cell, the average human body has about 50 trillion or so cells, whatever average is. Every one of those cells has an electrical potential of about 0.07 volts, small. But when you multiply that by 50 trillion, all of a sudden we've got 3.5 trillion volts of electrical potential in the human body. Wow. And then just to wrap your mind around what that, that means, if you, if you can envision a 12-volt battery in your car, 12-volt car battery or solar panel battery is what we use them for now, 3 billion of those 12-volt batteries it takes to equal the potential in a single human body. Wow. It doesn't, it doesn't stop there because every cell is a transistor. It's a resistor. It's a capacitor, and these are components that massage information as they pass through our, our computers and our, the computer I'm talking to you now and our, our mobile phones. Our cells function in the same way. Every cell is a transmitter of photons of light. We emit light. We receive light. That light is information informing our bodies. Every, the surface of every cell, everybody knows what cells look like now because of covid and the surface of every cell has receptors that are antenna. They are receiving chemical signals, we know that, but they are receiving electromagnetic signals and even beyond. And inside the cell, in the nucleus, the DNA is an antenna. The genes are even finer antenna. We are gated circuits. 
And all of this, all of this, when we begin to think of our bodies from this, this perspective, we are literally a soft technology. It's not a technology based on hard computer chips and wires and chemicals. We're talking about neurons and cell membranes and crystalline bone. And here's, here's what ties it into this book. We are the only form of life known to exist today. I'm sure there are others in the cosmos, but we're the only form that we can confirm today that has the ability, Ross, this is so beautifully awesome for me to say this. We're the only form of life with the ability to self-regulate our biology, to self-regulate all of those components, all of that electrical potential, and direct that for our, our, our healing or to awaken the longevity enzymes in our body or to create resilience to change or awaken deep states of intuition or to rewire neurons so that we can achieve our, our greatest capacities. We're the only form of life that we know of that can self-regulate. So what I mean by that is we're the only form of life that can sit in a chair in a moment in time and say, in this moment, I choose to awaken the longevity enzymes to give me, if, if, you're, if you're living a long time, it means you're healing, you are rejuvenating, you're regenerating. The only form of life that can say in this moment, I choose to ignite a, a powerful immune response. And man, who doesn't want that, you know, in, in the, the time of, of a global pandemic? And so much more. So this is why when we use, and it's not just words, in the book I talk about a biological state that is called coherence when we can create coherence in our bodies and then apply the word codes, that is where we are very, very potent in terms of our ability to influence not only our inner world, but how we function in the world around us. And that is something our young people simply are not being taught. And because they're not being taught, they are willing to give their biology away to technology as individuals. As a society, this is up for all of us right now. And, uh, and I talk about this. We've done television specials. We've got new books coming out on this. Because here's the thing. Once we relinquish our biology to a chip or a wire or a chemical... Our bodies, we, we've all heard the term, use it or lose it. Our bodies begin to atrophy for those capabilities and we lose the potentials and the capabilities that define our humanness in one generation. The next generation, pretty soon, kids that are born, if we're not using it in our generation, the body says we don't need these functions any longer. And we begin to give away the very essence of what we cherish as human. And I'm not saying it's right, wrong, good, or bad. I'm saying before we give it away, we owe it to ourselves to know what we're giving away. And that is where the new discoveries are important. So this book is identifying one of those, the words that we use, influence, uh, and, and allow us a deeper potential uh, to, to self-regulate our biology. The book, Human by Design, or, or The Science of Self-Empowerment, goes into that much deeper. Our... Uh, all of our books talk about this in, in one form or another. So we just covered a lot of ground, but I wanted to give a context 
This is, it's more than just a nice, it is a nice book, but it's more than that. It is a vital book in the, in the time when our very humanness is being challenged, taking and marrying two great ways of knowing the wisdom of our ancestors that weren't scientists, but they understood our relationship to our bodies in the world and the discoveries of science that now understand those relationships, but they're not really sure how to apply them. So we're building on the best science of the modern world with 5,000 years of human experience, weaving them into a wisdom that's greater than either could be on their own. And that gives us the evolutionary edge, I believe, to thrive and transcend our time of extremes. And that's why I wanted to release this book. So I, I want to give an example, but before I do, I'm just going to stop. Does that make sense, what, what I've shared? Uh, absolutely, it does. And if I can just interject and let our audience know in about three, four minutes, we're going to take just one or two questions from the audience. We just have a, a shorter interview. Greg's got a tight schedule today. So I just want to let everyone know, put your questions in the Q&A tab. You know what? I, um, I, I, I have another interview coming up. And uh, it's a soft interview, and I told them this one may run late. And I just talked a lot more than uh, than you did. So <laughs> if we if we go, I'll, uh, we can go to a quarter to the hour. I'll push this to a quarter to the hour because I'd like to to take some of the questions. But I also want to give an example of of what one of these wisdom codes uh, is all about. Are you okay if I do it that way? That's great. Thank you so much, Greg. Appreciate your time. Yeah, well, I appreciate you. And I certainly, uh, we love our audience. Our com- I, I, I tend to think of it more of a community than an audience, yeah. but there is an audience that's there. So I want to thank everyone uh, for tuning in today for all your support for me over the years of for Banyan Books over all those years. 50 years. I've only been doing this 40 years. So you guys got 10 years on me. And, and you, you don't look like you've aged at all. <laughs> so, so I, I'd like to, you know, we're kind of talking, we're covering a lot of ground. Let me get a little bit more concrete with uh, the, the wisdom codes. Uh, there are so many examples I, I could give. Um, there is one particular code. I'm hesitating a little bit because I don't know how much of a story I, I want to tell, but there is, is one particular wisdom code that I use almost every day of, of my life. And it is a, a Navajo uh, prayer. I'm coming to you today from a, a studio just outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we're surrounded to the north. It's, it's Navajo land. So, um, this is, is very close to, to me and, and my history and my experience. In the Navajo traditions, they view beauty as a force of nature rather than simply an aesthetic. When we talk about beauty, as a scientist, I was taught beauty. You know, you look at something and say, oh, that's, that's beautiful, cool. You know, what's next? Navajo think of beauty from uh, literally as a force of nature. So physicists will tell us there are four fundamental forces of nature. There's gravity, uh, the electromagnetic force, the strong nuclear force, and the weak nuclear force. And that's these are the four forces they're always trying to unify uh, into the, the unified physics. Navajo tell us there's a fifth force, and that is a force of beauty. It is more than an aesthetic. It literally is a, a force and that we are changed in the presence of beauty. 
So when we behold what we perceive as beauty, there is a, a, a chemical and a biological and a neurological change that happens inside of us. Literally, our sense, our perception of beauty is, is changing our biology. So this is the, the, the basis for this prayer. Now, the, the original prayer, it's a long prayer that I have in the book uh, used in ceremonies, and there's an abbreviated form of this prayer that I'll share with you now. It's three short phrases. And it simply states, the beauty that I live with, the beauty that I live by, the beauty upon which I base my life. The beauty I live with reminds us that beauty exists everywhere. It's already there. Our job is to seek it out and to find the beauty in all things. Sometimes it's difficult to find the beauty in tragedy or in loss. But what this prayer says, if, if we look hard enough, we will find beauty in everything. It's the beauty that I live with. So we don't have to create it. Our job is to seek it out. The beauty that I live by invites us to allow the presence of that beauty that already exists, to allow that beauty to play a foundational, fundamental role in our lives. The beauty upon which I base my life is the, the proclamation that beauty becomes a foundation or a, a, a keystone upon which our choices and our relationships revolve. If we can honor this principle of beauty, find this principle of beauty, honor that principle of beauty in every business relationship, in every emotional relationship, in every health relationship, this is where we find our power. So I, I find myself, I'll tell you, I'll just be very honest with our audience. The reason I'm hesitating, I lost my mom to COVID uh, early in the year. And yesterday, uh, well, Monday, uh, Sunday was Mother's Day. It was my first Mother's Day without my, my mom in the world. And lo and behold, as an author, I turned to my own book. <laughs> I turned to my own book of the Wisdom Codes. And this is under the chapter of Strength. And the beauty prayer, I look to for strength. And I use this a lot. If I know I'm going to have a difficult phone conversation, you know, with a producer trying to produce a physical event somewhere in Europe in the time of COVID, and it can't happen. Sometimes those are difficult conversations. So I, I will use this prayer often. I'll say the, the beauty I live with, the beauty I live by, the beauty upon which I base my life. I feel different when I say that. And... I also say it in the presence of the coherence that I mentioned. I can't go into that in detail in this brief conversation, but I do describe it in, in the book. Yeah, so the I, create book the, yeah, the I create the coherence in my body. Then I, I uh, uh, to, for me, either out loud or often silently, I'll recite that mantra, that powerful prayer, and then I'll... I'll click that Zoom link or make the phone call. And it, it, I become more objective and less reactive in difficult situations. And, uh, and I think that's a good place for all of us to be. It's so easy. There's so much hurt in the world right now. And if the hurt is not understood, it's often expressed as fear. And that fear will come out as anger and hate. And, uh, and it's not personal 
typically can be, but it doesn't have to be. And, and so the more that we can find that place of, uh, of, of neutrality, the more objective we can be when it's incoming, when you're, you're getting the hurt and the anger and the hate, uh, don't react in the same way. So, so I wanted just to, to say that and share with you a little bit, an example of, of one of these. Uh, and I also offer that in the Navajo language as well. It's a very, very different way of using vowels. It's a vowel-based language. I you know, Navajo was so powerful. Navajo is the language that was used by the code talkers in World War II because the, when the, uh, the foreign armies, when they were trying to crack the intercepted codes that they were picking up on the radio waves, they were looking for patterns that are typic, typical in the rom Romance languages uh, in, and in you know, typical uh, Western languages. So they were looking for consonants and vowels and uh, the word and, and you know, Navajo doesn't work that way, and they were never able to break that code. Nice. So I think it's a, it's a very powerful language if people want to, to, uh, to listen and, and read the syllables for themselves. So, yeah. so I'll, I'll stop there, and um, we have a few minutes if we want to entertain some of the, the questions. If we, do we have some questions? We do, we do. Cool. Um, and I just want to say, it, it, this book is a wonderful reference, and uh, I'm going to keep it on my shelf for sure. Uh, and that Navajo language, like you said, when I read the Navajo, there was something like quite powerful about, I said it out loud, and the, it was almost like it opened my heart immediately speaking that language. Yeah, it's, it's a different way of thinking about beauty. Now, I have to tell you, as a scientist, this, nothing could be more foreign to the way I was trained. However, a true scientist, if you're really a scientist, it means that you are, science is always being upgraded with new discoveries and new information. And a true scientist is open, not, not a gaping mind, but has an open mind to, to new discoveries and new possibilities. Uh, we have 5,000 years of human experience that predates the scientific method. We cannot discount what we have learned in those 5,000 years. And there is an arrogance in science often that says science is the only way and everything else is, is invalid. So that may work for some people, but we're living in a world like we've never seen. And I, I personally, this is my personal one man's opinion. Uh, I believe that we owe it to ourselves to draw upon every iota of knowledge that we have ever accrued as a species without judging where it comes from. If, it's, if it works, it works. Draw upon that wisdom and weave that wisdom into a functional, a functional wisdom that we can apply in our lives today. And, uh, and I think people that do this are often surprised at how powerful and effective it is. This book, Wisdom Codes, is, is an example of that. So. So let's let's take a question. Yes, yes. Um, Linda asks, or sorry, Paige Onja asks, uh, hello and thank you for your time. You mentioned that when we are in coherence, we become potent. Can you speak more on that, please? How does one get into coherence? Yeah, well, it's again, it's beyond the scope of what I can do well here right now. 
so what I'll say is uh, in 1991, scientists, and I talk about this in a lot of books, a lot of our TV shows, all the Gaia programs. I have a, a free video on my personal YouTube channel that will actually lead you through the, uh, the experience of creating coherence. So 1991, scientists discovered uh, 40,000 sensory neurites in the human heart. They're essentially brain cells, but they're not in the brain. So in the human heart, it has its own neural network. It thinks independently of the cranial brain. It feels, it remembers independently of the cranial brain. So when we want to heal emotional trauma, we've got to go beyond the cranial brain. We've got to begin to address the, the language of the heart. So the, there is a technique that our ancestors understood that has now been refined in the laboratory in the three simple steps where we harmonize the neural network in the heart and the brain. We harmonize them through breath, focus, and feeling, and, uh, and a very powerful feeling such as gratitude or appreciation. Uh, and what the harmony is, scientifically, it is a low frequency that the heart is sending to the brain, and the optimum frequency is 0.1 hertz, very low frequency. And when you can create the focus in the heart, slow the breathing to reset the vagus nerve and free yourself from fight, flight, or fight or flight, and then create that positive, uh, positive emotional experience, you create this coherence between the heart and the brain. It sets up a coherence not only between the heart and the brain, but with the entire body, all the systems in the body, uh, all the organs, all the glands come into this coherence. So it is a healthy thing to do. It optimizes your immune system. And I, I talk about all this. And uh, if you go to, go to the YouTube, Greg Braden YouTube, and it's a very recent release on heart-brain coherence. Um, uh, optimize the immune system. It's, it's where you'd begin to access deep states of, of intuition. Uh, it resets what's called heart rate variability, HRV, for our medical people that are listening. And the greater heart rate variability, the more resilience you have to change, to embrace change in a healthy way, and so much more. So I would invite you to go to the, the book. Uh, well, actually, in this book, I describe heart-brain coherence at the beginning, as, uh, and I recommend that you do that and then from within that place, apply the wisdom codes. Now, one, one last piece, very specifically, the brain is a polarity organ, left and right brain. So when we think about our trauma, for example, in the brain, you'll always have a good and a bad, a right and a wrong, a success, failure, worthy, not worthy. The heart, the neurons in the heart, they're not a polarity organ. And that's why when you create the coherence before you go into a difficult conversation, you are not hearing criticism, for example, in a hurtful way. You're not hearing it through the lens of uh, success, failure, worthy, not worthy. And this is a very, very empowering place to be. So I, it's a long answer to a short question, but I, I want to spend a couple of minutes. Coherence is uh, 
we are the only form of life that we know that can create coherence on demand, harmonizing two separate organs into a single potent system and then applying that system in whatever way we choose. And that is the foundation of all the live events that I do. And it's a lot of the, the, I, I wanted to put a lot uh, at no charge on YouTube in a really good way. So uh, I've got a company I'm working with and they're, they're representing these ideas in a really beautiful way. Absolutely no charge for any of it. Uh, and I think uh, if we were ever gonna use it, now, now is definitely the time. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I think we have time for one more question from Tanya. And she asks, are there any particular medical or biological scientists that you would recommend to follow? Uh, I definitely recommend my dear friend, my spiritual brother, my colleague, I've traveled the world with, I've presented with for 30 years, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Yeah. Uh, his book, The Biology of Belief, is a landmark shift uh, of epigenetics and our ability consciously and subconsciously to upregulate or downregulate our genes. That would be the, the primer for anything else. Uh, I would recommend my book that is still out. Uh, it's called Human by Design. It's actually a two-part book. My publisher wanted to emphasize the self-help nature so they, of the book, so they renamed it to the science of self-empowerment. I personally prefer the original title because that's the one the universe gave me. But that's exactly the same book uh, and it details a lot of what I'm talking to you about right now. I recommend those, those two books. And all the science reference, all the medical, I've got 40 pages of references at the back of that book if you wanna go deeper. Perfect, that's so great. I just wanna say thank you so much for not only coming today and giving the Banyan community your time, but also for extending that time and your heart to us. I love you all. And I appreciate you, my brother, and my brother behind the scenes that we don't see, but that's making this all possible today. I want to give a shout out. Yes. Uh, I just want to thank our, our community for just everything you're doing to be the best person you can be in one of the most challenging times in recorded human history. Uh, this is where we get to find out what works and what doesn't. And, uh, and I think the better we know ourselves, the better equipped we are for whatever life brings to our doorstep. And hopefully the time we've shared together today helps you to understand yourself a little bit better. So Ross, my brother, thank you so much. I look forward to our next. Likewise, Greg. Have a wonderful right. day. Okay, take good care. have been listening to In Conversation, a podcast with Banyan Books and Sound. <laughs>